Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Thursday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. First today, I have to say a big hello because I spoke to her after the show yesterday, Ellen Hagen. She's a great fan of LMFM, listens to Late Lunch every day, loves it. She's in the knoll and I want to say hello, Ellen, this afternoon to you and thanks for listening in every day. Bye, me to Dubai. No, you did not sing it for me. Who is this? Who, who, who are you looking for? Uh, well, I'm looking for the person who's on the end of the line. Who's this? Tommy McIntyre. Tommy, you said it. You didn't sing it. You gotta sing it, Tommy. You gotta sing it. You gotta sing "Fly Me to Dubai." That, I'm that's the best I can do. Oh, listen, it's not the best you can do. Don't be winding me up this afternoon. You had to sing it for me. Tommy, thanks for taking our call. I'm sorry you didn't sing it. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Tommy. Oh, my. Oh, my. He said it, Louise, didn't he? He just said it. That was all. The, uh, yeah, the, the it, rules okay. are the rules, Tommy. You got it. You had to sing it. You had to sing it for us. Jared was on the other day. He was in a supermarket. We ruled him out as well. And we have to be absolutely fair and even-handed on this. Yeah. If we ring you later on in the show, and we will be ringing some of you. You gotta sing it for me. You gotta answer with the wee song, "Fly Me to Dubai." You gotta sing it for us, and then you will be in the draw for the holiday. Reminding you again, thanks to our great friend Sandra Finnegan at Globe Travel. What a wonderful prize this is! Return flights to Dubai with the wonderful Emirates Airlines, and their big sale is on at the moment. Check them out, and a four-night stay in the lap of luxury in a beautiful hotel. It's a wonderful prize. We want to brighten up somebody's January and late lunch. We'll be calling more people today. And if you get that song right, answer with the song. You're in the draw on Monday when Sandra will do the big draw with us here and somebody will win that fantastic prize. Welcome to the show this Thursday afternoon. On what I might say is a very dark day for the town of Drogheda after events that have transpired over the last 24 hours. I've said this before. I'm a native of this town. I love it to bits. And today, coming to work, I was driving in the car and I stopped at a junction and there was a lady with a little child looking to cross the road in front of me. And I always tried to give way to cyclists and pedestrians and I stopped. And I smiled and I waved her. And if you saw the smile, 
she and the little child gave me crossing the road. And I cite this as an example of life goes on in this town and people go about their business every day at home, bringing children to school, looking after children, looking after older people in our homes, those who are unwell, the hospitals. It goes on and, and, and it's going on in Drogheda, in the greater Drogheda area at the moment. What's going on and what's transpired in the last 24 hours, I will say it again, is just not acceptable in a civilised society. And I call again on all of those, and I'll say it once more, it's probably too late, what do my words mean? To stop, stop now, to stop, and just, you know, walk away from this. Now, I'm sure that those are very naive words in a way, but I, I call on those people again to see sense and stop. This must stop and must be stopped. And, you know, it's not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. And it is involving a small minority, but it's affecting the whole community, that is for sure. And I say this, the forces of law and order will win in the end. They've won in Limerick. If you look at the Limerick example of what's happened, it took a long time and it may take time, but in the end, order will be restored. And secondly, if you are listening today and you take recreational drugs, if you take drugs of any sort for a bit of crack or when you're out at the weekend or at parties or in nightclubs or in pubs or wherever you are in your home, you have blood on your hands today because you are funding this. You are funding this, you are behind this. At all levels of society, top to bottom, if you do that, if you are involved in taking these drugs, you have a part to play in these shocking events that are happening at the moment. And you need to look into your soul and your conscience as well. And I'll just leave it at that for today and let you contemplate those words. You would late lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. We're delighted to have you with you, to have you with us. We will be calling some more of you as the afternoon moves on on the show. But I'm sure you're aware of what's going on in Australia. They have a massive crisis out there of a different sort, the fires. Billy Cantwell, he's a great friend of ours on Late Lunch. He's originally from Navin. He's a great guy and he emigrated to Australia in the 1980s. He's based in Sydney and he's the editor of the Irish Echo. And a little earlier today, I spoke with Billy and began by asking him to context the scale and the devastation caused by these awful fires. It really is hard to exaggerate the scale of it. it it's, it's enormous. I mean, the the amount of land that is burned, I think, would be somewhat equivalent to the size of the Republic. You know, like that's that's this, the size of the, the land that is actually burned during this series of bushfires. So, so it's really um, on a scale that, you know, certainly I haven't seen uh, as somebody who's lived here for, for 30 years. But I think in terms of the locals and um, people, you know, um, who have been here, uh, lived on the land, their their ancestors before them, nobody can quite remember something on this scale. And it's not just the fact that it's so large, but it's it's affecting so many different areas um, at the same time. That's what really has put the system under enormous pressure and, uh, and, and just caused such grief and devastation. For our information... Where and when did this begin? You know, we got filter of it weeks, maybe months ago. Was it accidental? Was it an act of nature? And what's been fanning the flame since? Well, look, um, 
we've we've had an extraordinary dry spell here. Um, like uh, this might sound weird to people who I know there's bad weather forecast today in Ireland, and you know it's it's when you hear people praying for rain and you know saying we need rain, and you know they listen to the weather forecast and say, unfortunately, there's no rain on the horizon. You know, it's sort of weird to an Irish ear, but really since um, the winter has been very dry, um, in Sydney anyway, it's been very dry in New South Wales. So there's been very little in the way of rainfall. And when there is lower than annual rainfall, or when, when rainfall patterns are, are low, what tends to happen in the bush is, of course, there is an accumulation of dry leaves on the ground and that's that's what creates the fuel um so people were worried about what was going to happen this summer if if we didn't get any significant rain now the rains didn't really come so of course things are just bone dry and it's like a tinderbox so so if something sparks a fire off it goes the wind gets up and uh, it's like a bellows and it just, um, you know, everything just ignites uh, and it just spreads, you know, like, a, you know, there's a reason why I say it spreads like a wildfire. It really does spread very, very quickly. And um, so that's what we've seen. It's been a combination, really, of very dry weather, very hot temperatures, um, very dry air. Actually, the humidity in the air is not as, you know, it's not as it's not as humid as you would normally expect in, in, in New South Wales at this time of the year. And um, and the combination of those factors um, have, have created this, you know, this devastation. In a way, you know, Australia is used to fires historically. But with this, was the government caught on the hop? I'm listening to people saying that this backburning, and I understand what it is, you burn purposely to prevent if a fire comes, you know, spreading. There's been criticism that that has been eased back on in recent times. Uh, look, there's, there's, there's a variety of um, theories as regards um, what may have contributed to it. Um, there, you know, backburning or uh, hazard reduction burning uh, is a tried and trusted method of basically reducing the risk in a situation where um, the, the fires, you know, before the summertime, before the temperatures get too warm. But the problem is what we've had in Sydney and what we've had in New South Wales is we've had, you know, three of the hottest years on record back to back. So it's been too risky for firefighters to do the hazard reduction during the winter time, because you can only do hazard reduction at a time of the year where the fires aren't going to take off, you know what I mean? So it has to be safe to do it. Now, it just hasn't been wet enough or dry enough, or sorry, or cool enough to do that safely with the, res- with the result that, you know, perhaps that wasn't done as much as it could have been, or, I mean, you know, you, you, you're only dealing with, with the realms of what is possible. But as a, as a consequence of that, firefighters were worried about this summer because they knew as soon as the temperatures got up, the fuel load was there in the bush and, uh, and the risks were enormous. Now, your Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, a very popular man in Australia up to the present. He went on holidays as this crisis was 
really taking off. Uh, he's uh, been out and about. I've watched him since, but he's got a lot of stick from people. He might have been a man that was, uh, you know, dissing or questioning global warming. Do you believe that mm. this scenario now has changed his opinion and perhaps the course of public opinion in Australia? Well, look, it's a very fraught debate right now. It's a very, uh, it's become political. Um, I would say Scott Morrison has certainly lost some skin in this game because, you know, the conservative side of politics in Australia have um, traditionally, or, or certainly in recent years, they've been intolerant of um, the arguments around global warming. So there's a lot of, uh, and, and it's an argument, an internal argument on the conservative side of politics. Scott Morrison, famously, before he was prime minister, carried a lump of coal into par- into parliament, and um, sort of taunted the opposition with coal, saying, you know, don't be afraid of it. And Australia really is on the horns of a dilemma because, on the one hand, Australia is one of the big exporters of coal in the world. Much of uh, this country's economic wealth. Um, comes from fossil fuels. So on the conservative side, they are very, very worried about, you know, a self-inflicted wound by um, walking away from coal or walking away from fossil fuels too quickly. Now, what obviously we've seen enormous devastation and people have drawn the dots between what's happening right now and the plan- and the glo- and global warming. So pressure has really come to bear now on the Prime Minister to, uh, I guess, take global warming more seriously. We haven't really heard that from his side of um, his side of politics here, and he's been criticised for it. And, you know, then the very fact that he, you know, he went away um, on holidays, that sort of compounded the anger. And then the smoke really rolled into Sydney and, you know, like... In, in our office one day, you know, the smoke was so thick in Sydney that, you know, the smoke smoke alarm in the in the building went off and everybody had to be evacuated, you know. And I mean, that's and that that was happening all over the city. So there's all sorts of things that people have never quite seen before. And that is scaring people, you know, that the very fact that Australia's cherished lifestyle and it's a lucky country, it's a beautiful climate, but people haven't been able to do what they usually do. So they haven't been able to exercise out, outdoors. You know, the, the, there's been ash in the sea. There's been smoke in the air, people wearing masks in the city. These are things that people haven't seen before. So that's really spooked the locals and uh, and it's created some political angst for the, for the Prime Minister. We're heading towards spring uh, in a few weeks here. Your autumn then on into winter. Are you depending really on Mother Nature again to dampen down the flames? The weather has softened this week. I mean, it was quite cool in Sydney yesterday. It was, you know, it was when you got up to about 23 degrees and there, was, and there was a bit of rain around. So everybody was quite pleased to see that. Um, now, whether the rain is falling where it's absolutely needed, there's still hundreds of fires burning all over Australia um, that are just, you know... <clears throat> Not, not many of them are what they would say at emergency level now. There's certain degrees of uh, severity in terms of bushfires, but the fires continue to burn. So, like people are saying, the firefighters are saying that they need sustained rainfall for, you know, a week or so just to really um, sort it out. But as I say, it's so widespread 
Um, if you look at the map of Australia, you look at where the fires are. There's fires in Tasmania, there's fires in Western Australia, there's fires in New South Wales, and there's fires in Victoria. Um, I was in Queensland last week, um, and they, they have had their brush with fires as well earlier in the year. So it's really that, you know, and, and all of these areas of different weather patterns. So it's it's just sustained rainfall, but everywhere, you know, to to sort of um, take the pressure off these uh, firefighters who are exhausted because the fire season started so early this year, you know, like they, you know, really fires have been burning since October. So these, these guys, um, men and women who are out there fighting the fires, paid and volunteer firefighters are just absolutely exhausted. So, so any relief at this point has been just, you know, embraced with, with both hands. We see the loss of property, homes, of communities, nature wiped out, billions they reckon of, of animals gone as well. Mm. Recovery, it's going to be a long, long process and slow. It is. I think, I think the scale of it is just uh, is really bamboozling people because, you know, like when that figure came out last week that, you know, as many as a billion um, animals may have perished in the, in the fires. I mean, it's just hard to, to really get your head around. And you're talking about, obviously, both native species and introduced species. So people have lost livestock, cows, sheep, you know, um, pigs, but but also, uh, you know, we, we've seen we've seen those horrific images of of you know singed koalas basically stumbling out of the bush, and and it's just it is heartbreaking, and it is you know the, the discussion is shifting now towards how how can basically these habitats be rebuilt because so many of the so many there's been such damage done um it's it's really hard to know how long this might take um the other thing of course is australia is you know suffering you know tour tourism tourism is really taken a hit because people have been seeing the images on their tvs and they've been cancelling their trips uh, both internally and domestic tourists and international tourists uh, even to places like you know, Uluru and Alice Springs, which obviously, which is right in the centre of the country. And, you know, there has been no fire activity there whatsoever, but people are just seeing the images and going, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there this year. And so there is an enormous, you know, body of work to be done to sort of convince the international community, I think, you know, that Australia is a safe place to visit because these images have just been so, so damaging and um, and it, it's looked so horrendous uh, and obviously it, it is horrendous for, for the people who've been directly affected. I, I sit here and think today Billy as I look out from the studio here we'd love to trade some of the weather we have for a little part of yours not the fires now. <laughs> no 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 not the fires but look it's it's yeah it is a consequence of of, of heat of extreme heat um, I know in Sydney you know we, we've seen over the last few summers, you know, we've, we've sort of seen a few days where the temperatures sort of crept up into the 40s, which which I don't ever remember, you know, in the early years when I was here, even though I was here, uh, like we, there was fires in, in, I think, 89. I was actually back in Ireland that Christmas when fires came quite, you know, into the Sydney basin and there was, um, there were, there were problems in the, in the suburbs, in the leafier suburbs of Sydney, there was, there was fires. Now we haven't seen that this year but you know 
bear in mind we, we we're still only you know just into January. There's another you know eight weeks of summer here. G- generally, February February is the time when the temperature peaks. So so we're not out of the woods yet by any by any stretch of the imagination. But um, so it you know it's always been a, a place where it can get a little bit too hot in summertime. Um, you know the temperatures are really spiking, and uh, you know, like every, pe- people are putting the, you know, people are associating this with 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 global warming. Obviously, it's a warm place anyway. If the temperature does increase, and it, you know, the evidence points to the fact that it does, and that it is, um, Australia will become a less, you know, pleasant place to live, and uh, and as I say, all those sort of lifestyle. Um, aspects that, that that Australians cherish so much the beach holiday the you know the the, the coastal the, the two weeks down the coast up the coast that people do at this time of the year if that's been threatened well then you know people are really worried about that because that is so um it's just the essence of Australia Billy Cantwell there, founder and editor of the Irish Echo, speaking to me from Sydney a little earlier today. After the break, are you ready to sing for me? No. It's looking bad. Will we let it ring once more? Will we let it ring just one more time? Sorry, I can't take your call right now. Please use your name and I'll go back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. Hello, whoever you are. It's Jerry Kelly from the Late Lunch Show on LMFM. What a pity you didn't sing to me and answer your phone. Commiserations. Thank you for entering the competition. You can hang up there now, Louise. Oh, 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 my heart is broke. There's somebody who could have been in the draw, but they didn't answer the phone. You must answer your phone and you must sing, fly me to Dubai. You must sing it, you must sing it. Thomas didn't earlier on. More calls to some of you as the afternoon uh, winds on on late lunch. Have you uh, comments there, Louise, to read for us? Yes. Yeah, Jerry. Just um, somebody WhatsApped here to say uh, just after what what you spoke about. Thank you, Jerry, for saying what you did about drugs. Short and straight to the point, but very strong. They should play that on the ads every few minutes. Yes, Eileen's been on from Dundalk. She's listening to the show. Thank you, Eileen, for getting in touch with us. She called in on 1857 She says, what a powerful message, Jerry. You are so right. There are so many other people have blood on their hands. Keep playing that message, Jerry, throughout the day. Thank you, Eileen, and thanks to others who've been in touch as well. Don't forget, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to talk to us on the show. 1857 if you want to call call in and if you want to enter the competition globe travel with your name and details now to 086-1800-658 you know for a time i kept bees and i still have a great interest and i said someday i will go back to it well i'm going back to it on late lunch now for the next while because i'm holding in my hands a new book it's called blasmala and baccarat simply and that's Irish, yes, and the book is written in Irish and for Anglophiles, most of you probably are out there, the the uh, translation is, A Taste of Honey Simple Beekeeping, and the man who's written it is with me, Simon O'Cronin, you're very welcome to Late Lunch Good man, thanks very much. Thank you for joining me on the show um, Unusual a, 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 a whole book on beekeeping in the Irish vernacular is it a first of its kind? It's not, you know. There was a couple more, but it's a long time since they were written. Mm. Uh, but uh, I'm writing the book a long time. I'm many, 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 many years at it. I've notebooks all over the house. And I'm 40 years living in Ratcarn. And when I pick up the pen 
I, I write it longhand first. It's it's Irish that comes out of my head, you know. I'm not from Rackhall originally. I'm Tipperary man, and I lived in Offaly, but I'm 40 years out there now, so uh, <laughs> I won't I won't be going anywhere else. <laughs> no, you're a native, yeah. like like the native bees you love and adore. Yeah. Now this book is. Uh, an hilarious at times story about attempts by you yeah. and Dan Murphy and the late great Seamus Mooney yeah. to establish what? What are we aiming to we, do? We, what happened to us was we read books that were written in the south of England about these honey farmers and bee farmers in the south of England. And sure, we said, why don't we try the same ourselves? And we spent winters making beehives in the sheds and we had some crack. And we put out beehives with the black bees in them. But sure, what, what we were reading from England, what, a lot of it wasn't applicable to what could be done over here. So we had good years and we had bad years and we had terrible years. We had years when we great bees and bad weather. And we had years when we had, when we had terrible bees and good weather. And it was, it's hard to hit the jackpot with bees, you know. But uh, we had fun and we met the farmers uh, we met the country people and we met beekeepers and it, like in, in, in County Mead now I think there's over 200 beekeepers oh, in the association in Mead Vibrant It's it's vibrant, yeah mm. and it, it's uh, it, it's a lot of and a lot of people were very witty and they always had stories and the stories that grow they grow bigger when you hear them the next time you know <laughs> so you hear the saying put wings on bees yeah, yeah. so I, I put uh, when I try to make a point about how to manage the bees or look after the bees sometimes I do a true story uh, and uh, like there's one story in the book there uh, Seamus and, and Dan Murphy they were out in the napery in Minolte one day and they were finished and a big bull came between them and the car and the gate of the apery. And you see, Dan was a townie from the edge of Navan, and he was terribly worried altogether, but Seamus was reared on the farm. And Seamus, that bull was tearing lumps out of the ground anyway, and Seamus says, I'll get rid of that, Felicity. So he went down the line of beehives to the wickedest beehive in the apery, and he took out a frame of bees, and he fired the frame of bees, and he hit the bull in the nose with the frame. And about 10 or 20 bees landed on the bull's nose and the bull said nothing for a few seconds. And the next it was, his tail went up into the air and he let an awful bellow at him and he ran to the far corner of the field. And every time the two boys came into that apiary after to, to look, look after the bees, when the bull smelt them or, or saw them coming, he ran to the far <laughs> corner of the field. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> what a story. The, the moral of that part of the story is if you have bees in the field, look around you first to see is there a bull in the field as well. <laughs> so, I try to use stories to. <laughs> Hilarious. And I can. To lighten it up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I could have said just beware of a bull as a bullet <laughs> point, but the story is better. Far better. Yeah. But the aim to establish a farm, it never really happened, did it? You, you, you had lots, no, you mentioned the numbers we, of beekeepers in the county. There are pockets of beekeeping all over yeah. the place. There are pockets of beekeeping all over. No, we never succeeded in establishing okay. a bee farm, even though we had a lot of bees. But our, fa- uh, our failure in doing so, we learnt an awful lot. Mm. And I'm too old to do it now. I can't do it. I can't do it now. And Dan wouldn't be able to do it now yes. either. And Seamus is gone. But all the things that we learned about how to manage them and how to mind them, uh, I must put, it's all, it, it's it's all in the book. book. So somebody else could do it. 
Yes. I've missed the boat, but somebody else somebody else could do it. But Simon, know? I wouldn't look at it like that. I think that you have fostered a, a, a new generation and culture of beekeepers in the Royal County. We have, and uh, what to do? Uh, it's a great association, mm. and it's going for it's going for years and years and years now. And uh, the new members they have lectures during the winter, and then for the new members they have uh, demonstrations in the spring. But the best of all is that they get a, a mentor, because it's very hard to learn on your own. So uh, last year there now I, I had a I had a man there. He lives up around Oldcastle. Ali Dunn was down with me a good few times. And seeing it is far better Absolutely, than reading about it. when I learned, Simon, with yeah. the Loud, the County Loud beekeepers, yeah. Owen McGillico, that I'm sure, sure yeah. you know Owen, wonderful beekeeper, and his father before him in Tipperary. Yes, his, oh. his father is a bee breeder. Yes. He's a great man. He's a fantastic bees, yeah. man. But yeah. Owen was my mentor, and absolutely, to have somebody like you or Owen or that is yeah. invaluable. It is, and for someone to come out with a beekeeper that knows what they're doing, and to come out a couple of times in the spring, a couple of times in the high season in the summer and again to come out in the autumn uh, because the jobs you have to do change through the year through the year now if I were to say to you to tell listeners today anyone considering this and it's something you should try now I'm out of it at the moment but as I said I I, I hope to go back to it someday if you were to say in in the beekeeping year Uh, what's the key month or the key key time for beekeepers the key time our native black bees here in Mead Loud up here in North Leinster they, they they reproduce, in other words, they swarm. And it, it, that means the hive splits. The hive rears a new queen. The new queen stays in the hive, but the old queen leaves with half the bees. Now, if the old queen leaves with half the bees, you're not going to get much honey out of the mm. hive. Uh, but if you get in before that happens, and if the beekeeper splits them and keeps both halves in a way that satisfies the bees split what they want to do, uh, then the beekeeper has a chance of honey if he gets a few high pressures in. Mm. But this happens when the sun reaches a certain point in the sky. If the hive is healthy, it generally happens. You nearly set your watch around the 15th of May. So you can't go off on a sun holiday in the middle of May. <laughs> you you see, have to be there. That's my conflict because yeah. May and my number one pastime, fly fishing. fly fishing. The Mayfly comes up on the lakes and I know now why I struggle. You've just revealed yeah. all to me today. But it is, it, seriously, it is the key time for it's the big The middle of May is the key time. And, and another thing that I have in the book is we have a lot of... Uh, uh, of uh, there's a lot of folklore about about the bees, and not a lot of folklore about the bees in Irish and in English. When you've heard a swarm of bees in May, is worth a load of hay, because you'll get honey from a swarm of bees in, that comes in May. A swarm of bees in June is worth a silver spoon, not worth so much, but still valuable. A swarm of bees in July isn't worth a fly. Because you won't get any honey off a swarm of bees in, in, in July. And, and we have lots of stories about in the book as well. Like the, the patron saint of the beekeepers and the bees is St. Gubnet from West Cork. And there's a story in the book. It's probably, the Cork people, my father was a Cork man, he'd probably tell you it was a true story. The, the, back in, I don't know, was it the 1300s or sometime way back, the English came out of Cork City and they attacked West Cork and they were, they were stealing the cattle because cat, cattle stealing was a big thing that time, you know. So the people got down their two knees and they prayed to St. Gubnet. And St. Gubnet 
got all the bees out of all the hives in West Cork and they said they didn't leave an eye or a nose and the soldiers until they were back inside the walls of Cork City again. <laughs> so so she's the patron saint of the beekeepers. And you know, and I know from experience, that little creature with that sting, and you oh. can imagine millions of them in the case of the of the tail yeah. you're telling there, the effect they would have, and the poor bull, of course. Remember the poor bull the poor a few bull. moments ago? Well, you know, d- 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 you, look, you're a fisherman and you go out on, 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 on the lakes in a lake, but you have to know what you're doing. Mm. Well, if you're a beekeeper, you have to go to an experienced beaker because you can read them. Uh, you, you, you can, you know, you see, they will defend their honey. So they're only uh, can be dangerous at certain times of the year beside the hive. But the ones that are out in the fields foraging the flowers, they're, they're, they're never going to sting you. Yeah. And I tell you one of the greatest thrills, the first time I learned to identify the queen when you were lifting the frames, you know, yes. you're talking about the be- stopping yeah. them splitting and marking your queen. Yeah. Once I did that for the first time and then I did it several times afterwards, it's a great thrill. Well, it is. And uh, it's a very delicate operation. Mm. And the women beekeepers are much better at it. Are they? They are. They're much better at it because you have to find the queen and put her in a cage and then we put a little mark of paint on our thorax because in order to split them later you have to be able to find her but we also cut a third off one of our wings now it doesn't hurt it's only like a nail you know uh, but it means that she can't take out the swarm and that really is the key to to comfortable beekeeping otherwise They'll be gone in you. They'll be in a hole in the tree. <laughs> or worse again, they'll be in your neighbour. You'll be oh. in your neighbour's attic. And if they go into your neighbour's attic, you, you, you're probably better off to say, are you sure they're mine? Exactly. Uh, I can tell you, one day I had them in my back garden and they went in next door uh, yeah. to our neighbours and they had three chi- three young enough children yeah. at the time and there they were hanging out of the tree. Yeah. And I went in and I said, well, you know something, you don't have to watch Attenborough on television this evening. Here yeah. you have it. Wildlife on one in your garden a swarm like that is is, is, is is quiet because they're full of honey they bring yeah. the honey with them yes. but what you do is get up your phone and look up your loud beekeepers association or the royal beekeepers or the royal and uh, they'll send out a beekeeper to take the swarm they will away safely yeah. Yeah. because a swarm like that is invaluable to a beekeeper yeah. you've a ready made <coughs> new hive yourself and you yeah. let them in and away they go yeah. you, the, important to say as well you talked about like looking at the English example the three and what you wanted to do here yeah. The native dark Irish bee is the one, isn't well, it? That, that, yeah, and that's the predominant bee uh, that's in Ireland. And around the world, there are a lot of other types of bees and a lot of bred hybrid bees as well, which can behave differently. The, some of them don't swarm so much, whereas ours are like the like the, the yaws on the hillside. They'll have a lamb every year. They want to swarm every year. <laughs> they do indeed. Now, hold that conversation a minute. I want to take a short break. Do you know, I could sit here and chat to you and listen to you all day. You're fascinating. Simon O'Cronin is with us on Late Lunch and he has a beautiful new book, Os Gaelga, called Blas Mala. Listen to this. Delighted to hear Simon on your show, Jerry. He's a fantastic storyteller. Well, I realise that already. And I'm thrilled to hear about his new book, Os Gaelga. Had the pleasure of working alongside him in his previous career and he kept us all entertained on many occasions with his interest and knowledge of bees. It's amazing. That comes in from Mary F. in Gels. You obviously know Mary F., I do, Simon. I do, yeah. Uh, another question, Jerry. Jerry, uh, Jerry, can you produce Manuka honey here in this country with the bees and the right flowers? Uh, it's expensive but very good nutritionally. 
we have better than Manuka, haven't we? What you need is to ask your local beekeeper to give you some ivy honey. Ivy honey is very strong, it goes hard, but you put it into a pot of hot, not boiling water and it'll melt it out again and it's as good as any it's as good as any yes, Manuka honey. Manuka is a brand and a recognised, but honestly, the native Irish honey, and I have to tell you, Simon brought me in a jar. Thank you. I finished my last jar at home this morning and my porridge. I will treasure it. Your honey is beautiful, golden and clear. And you also brought me a bottle of mead. Well, mead should be uh, uh, much more regarded in this part of Ireland because an awful lot of the old stories regarding Tara when the warriors and the kings and the queens gathered every night uh, and whatever deer or, or wild boar they had killed during the day, it was always washed down with gallons of mead. How do you make mead? Well, mead is fermented honey. You you add honey and water together and possibly one other fruit, maybe a few apples or something like that to give it some some more nutrient. And you add yeast and in, in about six months, it's fermented and cleared. But it's better to leave for another year. It's a honey wine. And in the ancient times, the Mediterranean peoples drank wine made from grapes. But the northern, the Slavic peoples, the Germanic, the Celtic peoples, we drank mead. That was our high status drink. And the old stories of Tara and the wine are full of mead. And there's a monument in Tara called the Tachmi Horda, which is the great mead circling house, where mead flowed from taps night and day, golden taps. And there's one story that the Queen drank so much mead one night on her throne that when she woke up in the middle of the night, the crown was stolen from on top of her head. <laughs> So I, I tell you, Queen Elizabeth might do it a drop at the minute. Might do it a drop at the minute. The hassle she's having with that crew of horse. But here's the thing: um, is it really strong percentage-wise when you talk about the alcohol level? Uh, it's about the same as ordinary wine, so you have to treat it with, with respect. But it doesn't taste like wine at all. It tastes like honey. It's not sweet because the yeast has eaten the sweetness. Yeast is alive and two byproducts are made. CO2 escapes through the airlock and the alcohol remains in the liquid. Well, when I pop the little top on your bottle, it's upstairs, I have to yeah. say, and I put my nose to it. I just got honey. That yeah, was so it's on honey. the nose. That's, that's what it was. So about 12%. I will enjoy a little sip and I know a few other people will there, enjoy to taste there's it. There's two recipes there in the book now I'll tell you how to make For the mead as well. Mead. Listen, I have a copy of this book. It's uh, Osgale, I say, but it, uh, are you good at Irish? I actually saw a nap yesterday on the phone that you can point at the pages and it translates it for you. Would you like a copy of this wonderful book, Blas Mala? Well, if you would, here's the little question. What's the Irish word for bee? Send me the Irish word for B to 086-1800-658 with your name and details and we'll give somebody this beautiful book and Simon will sign it as well for you. Where is it available? How can people get uh, it? It's available in all uh, shops that sell books in the Irish language. One of the main ones is on Shuppelour in Harcourt Street and it's also available in Rakharn and that by. But m- most people would get it online. The the, the publishers are Clo Irchonacht. But all you'd have to do is uh, type in Blasmala and the name Simon. And you'll and, get and, it. And, 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 it. It does work. It, that'll come yeah, up. Blasmala, B-L-A-S, M-E-A-L-A and Simon. And yeah. if you Google that, you, you can uh, come, find out all about up. it there. There's rakes of stories in this book. Throw me another story about the bees. Well, uh, there's one chapter in the book about, about safety and how to keep yourself safe and everybody else safe so that there'll be no tears. What was There was an, a granduncle of mine and he, he was a beekeeper. 
He lived on an acre of ground down in Cork near Blarney. My father was from outside of Blarney. And this man with my grandfather, two of them were milkmen. All he had was an acre and a garden. Uh, he lived there with his wife, Molly. And he had a collie dog and one beehive. And one day, <clears throat> he had great regard for the collie dog. But one day the collie dog went down and whatever the dog did, the dog was scratching at the door of the beehive. And uh, the bees got fed up with it after a while and they came out and they stung the dog and they killed the dog. And poor Mickey, Mickey Cronin was his name, poor Mickey, he flew into a rage and he got sticks and a few bits of straw and he surrounded the beehive and he burnt the beehive. And when he came in for his tea that evening, Molly was a big woman, Molly was putting the, his plate out in front of him on the table and he picked up the knife and the fork and he thought about what he was after doing. And he says, Lord Jesus, Molly, says he, now I have neither dog nor bees. <laughs> So he, he had a bad afternoon. Oh, what a bad afternoon he had. Yeah, he what had a, a bad, bad afternoon. Now, when it comes to bees and the production of honey, vibrant in the Royal County, vibrant in the Little County as well, and so many newcomers to it in, in recent years. But Dan Murphy, yourself, yes. and I, get, I want to mention again the wonderful Seamus Mooney. He Seamus, was. Seamus, was, Seamus was the genius of us all. Seamus, Seamus, we all went to Seamus when we needed to find something out. I know I wrote the book. The book would never be there if it wasn't for Seamus Mooney. Uh, Seamus, Seamus knew far more than any of us. And he knew it all from observation. And he was a very quiet man. He wouldn't, uh, I was the one that wasn't quiet, you know. He, but if you went and asked him, he'd explain everything. And he used to get into his little van and drive around the county and even up into Cavan when beekeepers would send for him when, when they needed help. Uh, he, 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 uh, I knew, we knew him for many years and the three of us soldiered together. We had, we had, we had, we had great fun. I remember one day we were we were in the va- in a little van and we were going up past Fordstown and this was years ago and the troubles was on and we had bees in the back of the van and the bees were escaping. The van was full of bees. You shouldn't do this. You should get out and shut them in and make it safe. But this was years ago. You know yourself. Health and safety wasn't what it is now. There was an unfortunate guard on the road checking traffic, and here was the three of us with veils on us in the, in, in 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 and and the troubles at the time, as, as you know. He was more afraid than we were. I let down the wind and the bees flew out. He says, what have you got in that, in that van? Bees, I says, go on, go on, he said like that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun, a lot yeah. of fun with, with uh, we, a lot of fun with farmers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, them. but you know something you say there, just to stop you for a moment, uh, they are small creatures, but in numbers, again, look at that security-wise, even the Gardaí yeah. were afraid of them. Take up that whistle there, because the time is going to beat us. You play the whistle and you love traditional music. I do. Uh, my family were all uh, musicians, and thankfully my own youngsters play music as well. And we're in a, there's a lot of music around uh, uh, right that by yes. that area. At the, will know, you play me a little tune there? I'll what play will you do? Well, uh, I'll play you um, Old Tipperary. Good man, yes. Darn. All right. Away you go. <clears throat>
Honestly, absolutely beautiful, 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 I have to say. You are a dab hand. You are a talent, a talented man across the board in many facets of life, I have to say. Some people tell me I'm full of useless information. I never say that. <laughs> I, I think you're full of uh, entertainment and yeah. stories and we need more of it. And it's something that we're renowned for in this mm. country. You know that well yourself. Yeah. And and it's, uh, it's something that's been lost yeah. in the modern era and never ever think mm. that you're absolutely wonderful I've so enjoyed our chat now this book it, it, it's it's a bible on beekeeping I have to say and there's so much more to it than we we barely touched on it this mm. afternoon but look I want to wish you well with the book will you you'll come back to me sometime sure if you send for me I'll come back to I you. will send for you and that's yeah. for sure and, and, and not alone may I send for you I may go to you never mind sending for you to come to me because we'll have to uh, meet again during the year it's young uh, the year is young in January and the beekeeping year mm. is just getting started now they're asleep now they're asleep at the minute, but they'll be waking soon yeah, as soon yeah, as the, yeah. the, the days get longer and the, the heat starts to come in. Blas Mala is the name of it, and Bacharach Himply yeah. is, is the word by Simon O'Cronin. Thank you for joining me on the show today. It's yeah, been a, a pleasure. Yeah, well, well, God, it's an afternoon of celebrities on late lunch today. We were in Meath a few moments ago and now we're heading to North Loud to the town of Dundalk because this man is a celebrity in his hometown. Eric Beggs has been bestowed with numerous awards for his work with the Fighting Blindness Organisation and he's here with me today to talk about the condition which robbed him of his sight. Eric, you are very welcome to late lunch. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you for joining me on the show today. Mm-hmm. First off, I have to ask you, I have to tell listeners, may, may I say, I may be talking about Eric Beggs, but most people would know this man as Sire. <laughs> Is that That's right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you known as Sire, Eric? Well, uh, I looked it up one day in a dictionary. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, it's actually, to think about it, a good friend of mine that has passed away, Peter Peter McCrave, uh, you see, Eric, is, if you spell Eric backwards, it's C-A-R-E, instead of E-R-I-C, and he just starts to call it Sire. You know? I see, so it's your name in reverse. In reverse, that's correct. There you go. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do because you used to ride out horses oh, and right, yeah, not yeah. connected with that. No, 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 no. no. Thank you for telling me that. So we have Eric Beggs, better known as Sire, <laughs> uh, to his friends and all his associates in the dock with us on late lunch today. <laughs> you were sighted up until what age? Till about 47, I'd say, yeah, around about that, you know. What happened, Eric? Uh, Think of RP. It's it's uh, ratinitis pigmentosa. It's a it's a faulty gene in your system, you know, mm. and um, it you're born with it, and you you finally you get worse and worse as as the years goes on, you know, and um, uh, you suffer a thing called night blindness, you know, when like when like when young fellas like myself at that time, thirteen and fourteen or fifteen years of age, was out playing football, and you'd be playing football maybe till come night time, you know, mm. and I'd have to go home because I wouldn't be able to see the ball, like you know. This. So, so there were indications when you were a teenager oh, that yeah, there were yeah. problems on yeah. the horizon for yeah, you. Yeah, but I didn't know what. Uh, it was going to be like, you yeah. know what I mean? I honestly just thought it was normal, you know what I mean? Okay, okay so those yeah. early indications mm. were a sign of things to come. Mm. You mentioned a gradual. From what age did it really start to deteriorate? Uh, I'd say, let me think, 
I'd say about maybe really when I'd be 40, I'd say, you know, okay. it's hard to get Yeah. Most and, and, and you know, as you sit here today, you are completely blind. You have no sight whatsoever. No, no. Do you have pictures in your mind of you have six children, yeah. your wife, family, etc.? Yeah, well, I, I do have pictures. I remember the faces quite well. The only thing I regret at this stage is I've never seen my grandchildren's faces. You know, you know that, that, that can be tough at times, you know, when you just think back, like, you know, but... Uh, no, I, I, you know, apart from that, like, uh, like I've some great friends, like, and like uh, you're saying, like about me fundraising, like I, I got so much help from different people that helped me along the road. Like it's just unbelievable. It's not just me, like you know this, uh, Siobhan Shesham, Harry McCarthy, uh, Colin Morden, there's Gavin McKeever, like there's Foxy, there's uh, Mark, and there's. Uh, Liam, you know, all different people, but, uh, like, only for them people, like, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you now, like, you know what I mean? Tell our listeners how much you've raised over the time for fighting blindness. Uh, well, I'd say maybe 150 or 60,000, I just don't really know. One man. I know yeah. all these people help you and they love yeah. you dearly, mm-hmm. but you're the main man, you understand that? I know, but, like, you know, I just want to, you know, take the credit, like, there's some great people... Like I got involved with, uh, with the National Council of Blind mm. and then uh, through a great, great friend of mine that's deceased now, uh, Peter Coleman, introduced me to Fighting Blindness. And uh, see, Fighting Blindness is a charity-led, uh, it's a, a, a it's um, what do you call it, a patient-led charity. Yes. And uh, 90% of their funding comes from fundraising. And they... they uh, they fund different institutions for research. Okay, you know, so it's, it's a, very important. Yeah, it's one you love, and I know it's close to your yeah, heart yeah. as well. Mm. But look, I mentioned there the annual Cooley Mountain Trek, which was yeah. a big fundraiser for you. What yeah. else have you done? What else do you do oh, to raise well, money? Well, I've done church gates and Easter eggs and stuff like that. Yeah, you know yeah. And, different uh, things to different raise things, amounts yeah, of money yeah, as well, yeah. but the trek was a it became a fixture every oh, year, it, didn't it? it? The Cooley trek, great success, like you know what I mean. Mm. But uh, you know, I come to an age nowadays, like you know, it's it's a lot, of, it's a lot of uh, work to do, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised the amount of work that goes into it. Like, of course. You know I mean? Listen, uh, you've done your bit more than done your bit. Uh, you understand that yourself. And there comes, there is a really a natural end for everything. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. But like, yeah, as I said to you, uh, I I couldn't get on without them help of them people. Okay, like, uh, the, okay. The, let's let's go great. back a bit, and I'll come back to 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 the to today in in a few moments. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where are you from, Rizzy? Where did you grow up? Oh, your family? Uh, a place called Lisdu. It's on the Newry Road. Yes, there. I know uh, it, yeah. Uh, this place in the Lisdu pub there. Like, you know, I, that's where you're from? Uh, that's where I'm from. This, uh, across the road from it. Like, and where did you go to school in Dundalk? Uh, uh, St. Nicholas National School, Dundalk. And when you finished school, where did life take you work-wise? I, I went to, into the horses then, like, you know, and then I, after done so many years of that, I went to uh, I went to delivering Guinness, Around Did you? Town, yeah, deliver Guinness, and I worked in Echo for a while. A place called famous place. In, yeah, yeah, I worked in Echo there, and um, you know, five or six years there. Like, mm. you know, so. Now come back to the horses. Who were mm. you involved with the horses? Uh, Bunny with? Cox. Yes, Bunny Cox. There, yes, and uh, I loved every minute of it. And mm. then when I went, licensed, they found something in the back of my eyes. 
And I couldn't get a license then, like, you know. So I see. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. That and, and ended that, like, you know. The delivering of the Guinness, was that driving a lorry? Oh, no, 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 no. I was, I was a helper on the, uh, okay. on the lorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure, Guinness mm. is a, a, a famous, probably the most famous ba- brand of beer in, oh, in, in be, Ireland. Yeah, it would be, yeah. yeah. We used to deliver it in most, most pubs round and dock. CIE used to do a bit of it, but we'd done the most of it. Mm. And then maybe a little outside Black Rock and, you know. yes. Maybe a little bit further afield, you know. Yeah, and you love that. Obviously, mm. your condition, you had to give up work. I had to give it up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that so, tough when you had to say, well, look... It certainly was, like, you know, it certainly was, like, you know, like, uh, but, like, I'm sort of a fellow, I don't hang about, like, I, I, do, I won't feel in, in a corner feeling sorry for myself. Mm. You, you get up and get on with it, like, and uh, I recommend that anyone out there that's listening to this programme, if they've sight problems or blind get out and get the hell out and get stuck in it because there's hundreds of, of people out there that that, that could go to uh, uh, and, and help them along the road like you know what I mean and any especially younger you, you have the, the, the blind uh, sports place yes. in Dublin you, yes. you have National Council of Blind they do different things mm. and, and you're fighting blindness too but also be there for you and they have a, a counselling service going on and they'll help you like yes. but get out the hell and get walking and do different things it doesn't matter what age you are you can be from 10 to, to 90 yes you know what I mean you, you, you just don't lay under it like, you're you know? hearing it from the inspiration mm. that is Eric Beggs on radio this mm. afternoon you know when you have to adjust and you lose mm. your sight right mm-hmm. at home you become familiar with your home environment and yeah. getting around there I'm sure yeah. becomes quite comfortable for you yeah but Talk to me for a minute, Eric, about being out and about in the town of Dundalk, going about your business. How difficult was that? Well, I, I, it was tough, like, you know, but you see, when you're born in a place, you kind of know yeah, uh, that. Yeah. But then there's that many changes going around Dundalk at the moment, different things and on. Yeah, you do. But I'd be like, I married to a very good lady uh, and... God love her. I don't know how the hell she ever put up with me. It's a medal she should get. <laughs> but anyway, she, we, me and her goes up the town there most mornings there and then I have some great friends that so this man here to me left, like, you know, and... Uh, Give him a mention. Who brought you up here today? Yeah, that's gentleman there. <laughs> call him, you know. Yeah. But uh, we go and uh, we do the, uh, different things and, you know, the, the only thing I, uh, I have to say, you know, I, I, I can't get him to the bar. Like, you know, he's very slow at going over to the bar. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think that's a very good trait in Colm. And, and that's very sensible, to be honest with you. Look, when you talk about getting out and about, did, did you ever have a, a guide dog? No, no. You just never... No. It wasn't no. for you, was it? No, no, it wasn't for me. You know the way yeah. people... I've met people in the oh, past yeah, who, yeah. who love the dog, who gives them, oh, you know, yeah. freedom and independence oh, that's as right. well. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I never... But with your but, wife and your family and your friends and Colin oh, yeah, here... Oh, they, yeah, they... They look after you. Oh, they look after you. Unbelievable. I'd be mm. lost without you. Could more be done? Because I, I'll mm. tell you something. Last year, uh, maybe even the year before it was, I went with two ladies from the, the area here mm. out and about and dropped it to, to, to see what it was like mm-hmm. at traffic lights and crossing the road oh, and yeah, you know yeah. the, you depend on audio obviously oh yeah you would be you well, would, is that yeah, good yeah. in Undock uh, you know, it's not bad now it's not yeah. bad like when you come to the traffic you can hear them you know beeping beep you when they cross and you yes. know, that sort of thing but I never would take the chance you know I understand I wouldn't be that uh, 
confident in himself mm. like to, to do that. Like, do you know as well, Eric, when they say our sense is the sense of sight, hearing, mm. smell, touch, yeah. etc. Do you know the way you've lost your sight? Mm. Is your hearing more keen? Uh, well, it's weird. It's, you know, no, like, you know, I wouldn't say it's more keen, yes. but it's, you know... Mm. To me, it's it's it's. So if Colm said to you, "We're going for a jar," you'd hear that, would you? Well, he, he talks very low. Like <laughs> 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 oh, you'd hear it all right, folks. I'd say you'd hear the grass grow, this fella. Stay there. I'm taking a short break. Eric Beggs, he's a wonderful man, is with me on Late Lunch today. Now, look, we were talking a little bit earlier on about the racing and Bunny Cox. And, of course, you were a mm. jockey on the flat on National Hunt. Uh, I used to do jumps. I used to school and jumps and stuff like that. Like, you know, Eric... It must be like taking your life in your hands every time you go to the start line with a horse. Was well, it? it's 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 like everything else. You know, you could you could be knocked out crossing the road, like you know. But you know, you you'd be surprised. Uh, well, you do get a bad bad, bad accidents. Like there's no yeah. doubt about it. I'm not saying you won't. Like you know, but some people. Gets worse than you know. Yeah, but you, but you, what you're saying to me, it's like Formula One drivers. Well, it's like people who are in other dangerous world motorcycles. You don't think about it. No, no, you know, you don't think at the time. Yeah. That's I, I miss, I miss uh, riding horses. Like even to this day, like I'd love to hop on a horse and you know. Would you? Yeah, oh, I would. Oh, I, I definitely would. I, I have no, I have no chance. That of still doing burns that. within you, does it, yeah. Eric? Ah, yeah, yeah, you know, but I. I like I, I wasn't brought up with horses. Me parents had no horses. Like mm. father worked in the railway, and you know, and uh, it was just that that uh, I just loved them. Like, yes, you know, yeah. you know, the majestic creatures, aren't oh, they? Oh yeah, oh yeah, some of the best. Hey, mm. You know, some. But you love yeah. racing still. You you go racing. Oh, oh, I go racing. I go with, with a good friend of mine, Ricky McVeigh. He used to lead singer with the with the Hilton Show Band. A great friend of mine, and Bobby and. Uh, go with several other people, like you mm. know, and uh, we we a good day, you know. This, do you have an old flutter? Uh, I'm gonna tell you, very, 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 very small. Colm's <laughs> 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 raising his eyes to the roof here beside you. You can't, I'm just telling you, he hears. Uh, but uh, look at it, it, it it's, it's a lovely interest to have. Where do you love to go to your favorite track to go on? Well, what? I like Navin, do you? And, yeah, and Fairy House, yes, you know, they're, they're close there beside me, of course. They, you have Leperstown there, but it's too packed. Like when, mm. you, when you go, um, and especially around Christmas time. Yeah, there's an awful big it's crowd. It's a big crowd. Yeah. All, all the the the, the, the mm. day trippers are, are out over the hall. I know yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. You're part of the true blue brigade. Oh, and well, do you run? You, you mentioned the list too from where you're from. You organise uh, trips. Bus, to, uh, bus, do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go, we go to uh, we go to uh, uh, rest meetings from the Lisdu Arms and they put on a lovely spread to us and breakfast and dinner when we come back and you know it's a, so there's a bit of. Life's good. Life's really good. Now, coming back to fighting blindness, Mm -hmm. um, it was, of course, retinitis pigmentosa that, uh, you know, has Uh, uh, you have and that is... uh, uh, RP for short. RP. Mm. Do you believe that sometime soon we will see developments that will allow people like you regain their sight? I've got no... What no doubt whatsoever in that, and like I say, used to say an old saying, like there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But believe me, what I'm telling you, 
that latest shipping up to the top of that tunnel and it's three quarter ways there, like, you know, and it's only a matter of another couple of years that it will be finally up there, like, you know. Isn't that great to hear? Yeah. And the sooner the better. Yeah, and I, yeah, I yeah. pray that it comes your way, Eric, yeah, uh, yeah, as well, well, and that you will regain it, it, and you will be able to see those five lovely grandchildren ah, of yeah, yours. Yeah, but if it doesn't, Chuck, it wants to help some... Someone else, I don't mind, some young person, like, you know, there's nothing worse than if you losing your sight. But at the same time, it's not the end of the world, you know what I mean? And I just want to say one more word to you. Uh, if anyone should, and I mean this, and I'm not a doctor or a medical thing, I haven't a clue, but everyone should go and get their sight tested at least once a year for pressure and stuff like that. And, it, it, you know what I mean? It, it, it'll, it'll help all these things, you know what I mean? Yes. So, uh, good advice from Eric today. Yeah. Get it checked once a year. Now, before we finish, this big award you picked up nationally, tell us about it. Oh, it was a surprise. I was, a, I was a nominated from Fighting Blindness, which I'm very grateful for them for doing it, like, you know. And uh, we went up to the Carlton Hotel in Blanchestown, and I got off as a prize. It was different categories, like, you know, uh, all from all over Ireland, Kerry and you mm. name it, Mayo, uh, everywhere. And uh, I, I was nominated for, for the health and disability uh, category, you know, and um, I happened to uh, to win it. And you that, did you know. indeed. A and, national uh, award I, winner yeah. uh, for all mm. the voluntary work you've done, and especially in for fighting blindness as well. Yeah, and, yeah. and listen... When somebody raises a hundred more than a hundred and fifty thousand euro, don't you well deserve it? Ah, you know, but like as I said, yeah, it's people I want to see. God love them to get their sight back. That's all I want. Mm. You know, I, I don't need any trophies or anything like that. You know, <laughs> well, look at you you've know. got it. You have the mm. title, and yeah. congratulations again to you for yeah. being awarded. It yeah. is well deserved. Mm. Do you know mm. something I want to say to you? You're a fantastic guy. Oh. You're so positive in your outlook in uh, life, awesome. and you're inspiring. I'm sure to so so many mm. people. You really are, no, and thanks, uh, thanks so I admire you greatly, Eric. Oh, I no, really no, do. You, just, you, you get stuck in that's it, like you know. Yeah. And as I said, if you can tell them people out there if they've any problem with like get on to fighting blinds or any of them and they'll help them out as best they can for a counsellor or any of that but the hell get out there and walk hey, and do something hey. don't be sitting in a corner feeling sorry for yourself you know? <laughs> let's leave them with that message yeah, today yeah. Eric thank you for joining me on the yeah, show a pleasure, I hey. wish you well it's really been so nice to it's meet you it's a pleasure no, a pleasure take like, care yeah. of yourself the That's wonderful right. Eric Beggs on late lunch this afternoon yes the Irish word for B is Biak B E A C H. Hi, Chris speaking. Chris, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. How are you keeping? I'm good. This is Jerry Kelly from the Late Lunch Show on LMFM Radio, and you're live on radio this afternoon, Chris. Do I have to sing a song? You were supposed to sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know now, but you know what, Chris? It's too late. It's right. too late. You should have sang for me and there you were within touching distance of going to Dubai and staying in a beautiful hotel for four nights. Oh, my God, Chris. <laughs> That's terrible. What? I can't say anything else here. Listen, commiserations. Thanks for entering and taking our call. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Yesterday, everybody sang. Today, 
One said, and others didn't answer, and there you are. We had no. He answered, Chris, but he didn't sing. Fly me to Dubai. Come on, you know by this stage. We'll try somebody else before the end of the show. Anyway, the Irish for B is Biak and Mary Conroy. I'm sending you a copy of Simon O'Cronin's lovely new book, Blas Miala. And a lovely message into me just there now from Phyllis to say, love the chat about the bees and the honey again today. And I want to tell you, Jerry, since you spoke about it last, I've been enjoying the Lanlair honey, which I can buy now in Bettystown and Laytown. It's absolutely gorgeous. It is indeed, Phyllis. Up next on Late Lunch... 14 years, yes, 14 years he spent behind the bar in Slane. For Brian, it's no more. Stay with us on Late Lunch. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Now, the shutters are coming down in Slane at the weekend. Yes, the Boyne Valley Inn is closing for good. And the man who's been running the place there for the last 14 years joins me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Brian Kelly, you're very welcome back to the show. Thanks very much for having me. The end of an era. Why are you closing? Well, I, I've thought about it long and hard over the last couple of years. And uh, I just finally uh, made a decision there about a year ago. So it wasn't something that was just uh, came all of a sudden. It was about a year um, it took me to make the decision. And it's just just the way things have gone um, over the last few years. Uh, I, I've seen it coming probably about six or seven years ago. Um, the trade had, had kind of went down a bit and... You know, you, you you do other things. You look at your competitors. You 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 question yourself to say, what can I do that other pubs are not doing? And I I I, I tried everything uh, within my power, and um, it's just unfortunately the bills. Obviously, the increasing bills like um, insurance uh, rates. Um, you know, obviously my rent. It wasn't my rent that. Uh, my rent was very reasonable, I must say. The, the landlord, uh, he gave me a reduction in rent uh, seven years ago and uh, he was quite willing to work with me. So um, you have Sky and it's all the hidden costs, Jerry. And I just said at the end of the week when I turned around and everybody was paid and I look what I had in my pocket for working a 60, 70 hour week. So, like, you can't put hours on running a pub. It's, it's a 24-7, it's a hands-on position, you know. It's not easy, and that's why so many pubs have closed in Ireland in the last decade especially, and you're just a- another example of this. Well, in a way, when I listen to you talking and all the hours you put in and the no reward, and I know you, ha- you have something else which you're working on at the minute and will be working on in the future, is it a, a relief, Brian, in a way? It's going to take me a while to adjust. Obviously, my hours will be so much uh, different to, to you know the late nights and... You know, even though I, I, I don't open till evening time, but uh, you're always on the go. You're always doing something, you know, stock, whatever, stocking up and, you know, um, going to the bank and getting change and stuff. There's always something to be done. You're never idle. I'm looking forward to a new challenge and, you know, possibly being able to have the weekends off and, and, and to myself and, and my partner. And I've uh, a lovely, blessed, of a lovely uh, four-year-old, uh, four-year-old boy, so... He was uh, obviously a, a big factor in making this decision. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully I'll, I'll be able to have a life back again, you know. You certainly will, and a wonderful yeah. life maybe yeah. wish you as well after all these years. Now, I've spoken to you on, 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 during my time here on the show as well, and I can remember you talking to me about the insurance scam out there and telling us that story. The kegs, what happened with the kegs? Yeah, uh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> I would say that gave me a bad luck, but yeah, that happened uh, uh, last year. Um, 
Yeah, I was due a delivery, and actually I was working in Dublin helping a friend of mine. Um, it was during the summer, but uh, last year, but uh, I was doing a uh, uh, sec- second fixing, uh, uh, putting uh, hotel bedrooms together with a friend of mine, and uh, enjoying the work. And uh, but uh, yeah, I knew I was de- uh, had the delivery uh, this particular day. I was on a Wednesday, and uh, my dad uh, would normally be there. Um, you know, dad, my dad would be being backbone. You know, he'd be he'd be there, but uh, he was a bit delayed in having by about half an hour. So uh, I, 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 I rang him, I got through to him eventually, I says, Dad, were you at, uh, at the pub to, to see the delivery in? And he says, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually here now, and uh, but there's no sign of any delivery. And I says, well, it should have been there by now. So I rang the depot and the kegs were dropped off. So anyway, so I put two and two together and I thought, well, the valves have been lifted up off the street. So when I got back from Dublin that evening, I checked the CCTV and lo and behold... Uh, they were dropped off by the lorry, all right, and uh, yeah, within five minutes, uh, a van had pulled up, and two lads got out, and brazenly, the hoods up, got out, and took them about three minutes, the, the five kegs in the van, and off, the, off they went. So that was easy pickings for them. With my scenario, they got five kegs, they got 500 quid for three minutes' work, so if they do one or two two premises a day, that's handy money for them, you know? It's shocking, it, it really is, and a, a timely warning there for other publicans. You were dealt a, a huge blow to your family last year with the sudden death of your nephew in Lanzarote, Mikey Leddy. Yeah, it's uh, the call that nobody, no parent wants to get. Uh, it was a Monday morning, and uh, early Monday morning, and I, I got a call from my sister, Ashley in uh, Lanzarote. I knew they were on a family holiday, and uh, I couldn't make sense of it. First, she was crying down the phone, Hysterical, said Mikey fell, fell. Uh, he he he's not responding. It's uh, and I I this is about half one in the morning and um I I couldn't take it in myself, you know. So I didn't know the whole um, extent of it, um, but I I knew there was something something serious that happened. Uh, so I uh, I spoke for a couple of minutes and I, and I told her look, um, yeah. She said tell dad, tell dad, tell your dad. Our dad, so I said, look, um, I'll phone you back later. And uh, so I waited till 7 or 8 o'clock till my dad woke up and told my dad uh, something serious uh, with Mikey had happened. He had, he had a fall. It's not looking good. Um, uh, I didn't know how bad it was. Uh, he was on a life support. That's as much as I gathered. So this was on the uh, bank holiday Monday. So I kind of knew then uh, this is not good. So I have to step up the mark they're over there on holiday um, and they were with the youngest Daniel uh, who's 14 um, Mikey was 15 but uh, so I started ringing around the embassy and I, I, I told the embassy uh, I got through to the embassy and they phoned the, the Madrid consulate so we got the ball rolling and uh, uh, everybody was so good and uh, then on Tuesday uh, Monday evening I went back to the pub and I, I, I just let it sink in and I, I couldn't, you know, what am I to do? What will I do? So, I don't know, I, I must have been a, a lot of mercy and a kick from my mum or something in division, uh, divine in, 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 in division, uh, in, intervention. Um, I said, right, I have to go over there. So, my partner booked, booked the flight for me early Tuesday morning. Um, I got over to Lanzarote at 11 and uh, got to the hospital. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was there to pick me up and uh, got straight to the hospital. I was there at 11, and uh, lo and behold, went in and 
yeah, went into the room and my nephew Mikey uh, was there on a life support and it was just so unreal. Um, Ashlyn, uh, my sister, and, and Damien, um, her husband, were there and uh, young Daniel and uh, I knew this This is not good, it's not good. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we, we uh, the nurses kept insuring us and the doctors had done everything they could and at four o'clock the call had to be made there was no going back he he was clinically brain dead the fall he abstained uh, on the back of the head they'd done everything they could uh, they were exceptional in, in, in the way that they looked after him and, 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 and everything they'd done everything in their power but unfortunately the life support machine had to be turned off um, on Tuesday afternoon so uh, it was just um couldn't couldn't uh, take it all in, so uh, yeah. The next step was to get him home, and uh, I lucky enough I came uh, within the right right people. Uh, a lovely lovely chaplain over there. A chap deserves a mention. Uh, Father Stan Stan Evans. Uh, he he's English, but by origin, but more Irish. He he, he chaplain here in Ireland for thirty five years. And he got the ball rolling uh, and he introduced me to an interpreter and we got the ball rolling. Um, he, uh, the plan was to have him home Friday and we got him home Friday. He was just 15. He he, he excelled in his football, uh, soccer and Gaelic. Um, he was a great driving force for Johnstown Football Club and Domahanis. And uh, I'd just like to say that they were brilliant um to back up the support systems with the family um, when we brought Mikey home and even to this day they rallied around the family and, and they were there as a magnificent support and o- only for them and it just it's a privilege to, to to be able to Mikey was so loved by everybody and he achieved so much in a short space of time and they named the Perpetual Cup after him uh, um there, the Me County Board have, have named the Michael Eddy Perpetual Cup after him. So, it's it's been a, um, an honour, um, you know, to, to to have that and to keep his memory alive. And uh, he was a great young lad, um, but just unfortunately a tragic accident. A tragic yeah. accident is right. You've been a great supporter in your life of so sad as well. And with the curtain coming down on the Boyne Valley Inn this weekend, you're turning to another charity you're supporting the Alzheimer's Society why? Yeah we're supporting the Alzheimer's uh, unit in Navin uh, a very very good friend of mine he's like a brother to me uh, Greg Johnson uh, I've known Greg um, 40 years of my life um, he's like the brother I never had he has supported me uh, down through the years uh, with the first original So Sad Cycle back in 2009 which took place in the pub and uh, Greg has been there through Thick and Tin, uh, Marshland, himself and all the lads from Slane, not just Greg, all, all the motorcyclists from Slane. Great bunch of lads. It's great to be able to do things for charity and every charity deserves recognition. There's a lot of good ones out there. Greg has been growing his beard and, uh, and, and uh, hair for the last six, eight months. Uh, so I decided uh, to, 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 to support Greg in this and get my uh, head shaved also. So that's on, on Saturday night. Uh, 
uh, we have a GoFundMe page set up. We're doing a raffle on the night, and then we have a 2003 uh, football jersey which was donated to us and signed by by the original uh, Irish team. Uh, it'll be a great night. So all donations greatly received. Um, yeah, so that's where we are. So Greg, Greg put this together, and um, but uh, the head is getting shaved anyway. The, the hair is coming off anyway. <laughs> I don't normally have it this long, but <laughs> it's annoying me now at the moment. So, so she's going to go on Saturday night anyway. <laughs> It certainly is going to go and we again wish Brian Kelly all the very best after 14 years in Slane. Hi Jerry, will you pass on my best wishes to Brian for the future and also my thanks for the many Sunday evening gigs he gave me over the years and thanks again. That comes in from Andrew Healy this afternoon to us on Late Lunch. Now, I'm waiting. Yes, I'm waiting. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Hello? Fly me to Dubai. <laughs> oh, did you say it straight away? I don't know whether you did, and you said hello first. Yes. Oh, I yes, I know, but you said hello first. I'm just getting the word in my headset here from the boss to say no. She said hello first before she actually sang it. Okay. And I'm sorry, the rules are really tight on this one. They really are. you got to sing it. Nothing else. No hello, hi, anything like that. We will have a little listen back to it. But at this point in time, I'm being told no. We will listen back to it and have a very close listen to it. And if you didn't say anything, but I think you did say hi or hello first. Did you? Did you? No. You say you didn't. Well, we're going to listen back to the audio in a minute because we're finishing up now for the day and we'll tell you start of the show tomorrow. But I think you did. I know you sang it, but there was a you said something first, there was a silence and then you sang it. So we have to, you know, I'm hearing my headset. No, I've been told in my headset here. Anyway, thank you for entering. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And Louise, what do you think? No, she did. What are you saying to me? Uh, we, listen, we will listen back, but I think she said hello. And then yes. when you said hello, she sang it. And then she sang it yeah. when I said hello. And I think that is outside the parameters of mm. the rules of the competition. We have to be fair to everyone. Uh, we have to be fair. And we have to be 100% tight on this. Nobody today. And Louise, yesterday, and Waxing Lyrical, everybody <laughs> sang it. There's one more day for the competition. Yeah. There and is one stands, more day. The people that are in have won at one and five. One and five. Chance we have five people through for the big draw on Monday with Sandra Finnegan here on Late Lunch. But it could be you tomorrow. Remember, fly me to Dubai. Not hi, hello, say it or anything like that. Just sing it when the phone rings and you answer it and you could be going to Dubai. Eddie's up next with The Drive. See you Friday for Late Lunch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to smile with the best deals on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.